As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. To the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today from the Around the NFL podcast and NFL media, one of my favorites, Greg Rosenthal. Greg, thanks very much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Always. Uh, I love your little setup there. It's like dark and moody, just like Robert Mays. I don't know if it's supposed to be this dark. I've been working on like the <laughs> ISO on my camera, but I don't know how to fix it. They gave me a camera, which was a mistake. And I was going to say the res, like it's high. Re- it looks good. It looks good. It looks I appreciate good. that. I assume I'm doing something wrong with it, but I don't know how to actually get it to work right. So that's the state that we're in right now. So I wanted to have you on because you always do such a great job, just period. But free agency, you always have a huge list. You're always really deep into who the players are, what the movement looks like. And we couldn't have you on before free agency started because of scheduling things. But now that free agency has wound down a little bit, I wanted to chat with you about kind of what comes next. You know, we talked about the winners of free agency, some of the moves we liked the best earlier this week with Nate. I want to talk now about just the biggest questions we have left and kind of put a bow on the veteran movement period of the off season before we really dig into the draft. Sounds good. And this area is a weird one. It's like a little quiet for a few weeks. Some people get their vacations. in, But one thing I noticed, and this was separate from prepping for this pod, but just looking at some of our older podcasts we did this time of year from now, about the next three or four weeks, like there's like one big story a week. Now, which Typically, is not many, yes. but like a couple bombs will be dropped and, and maybe we'll we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it's last year we had like that run where every single day it felt like something yep. was happening. And that was the run up into free agency because I want to say the Russ trade happened like the week before. And then we got all the wide receiver trades and then the Tyreek trade happened this week last year, I want to say. So we haven't gotten that sort of unceasing stream of news, which I always enjoy this time of year because it, it definitely fills the the content jar in, in a way that we're not getting right now. But I think there's still plenty of stuff to talk about. We're going to turn the page to the draft pretty definitively starting early next week. I started watching the quarterbacks today. So this is my last little foray into the NFL news cycle part of this. So starting with the biggest stories, the biggest questions that we have still remaining, I think there's really only one place to start. 
it's kind of crazy how little we're talking about this right now because of how much of a stalemate seems to have been reached between the two sides. But we still don't know what a 26-year-old former MVP where he is going to play this offseason because he's on the non-exclusive franchise tag. It it's wild how little reporting there's been. It's I, crazy. I think it's, it makes sense, you know, because he doesn't have an agent and that's who supplies a lot of these reports. I think the Ravens are somewhat in the dark of what's going on. I think, you know, they made their offer, but I think otherwise there's not a lot of communication going on. We're hearing a lot of media who's like upset with how Lamar does things, but I think that's partly cuz a lot of the insiders are on the same team as the agents and they don't like this <laughs> lack of uh, information. And, and I guess I would throw it back to you just talking Lamar because we're just guessing at this point. Like one of the big questions I have is like when this happens, because I something I believe will happen. And and to me, the draft is is kind of the obvious you know, pressure point or draft week. And we, we've seen some bigger veteran QB trades happen sometimes in that week before the draft. And I don't know if it's going to take that long, like especially for a team like the Colts, if they're, if they were going to be the team that gets in there. Uh, but that's, that's part of the equation is like at some point the Ravens have to move forward with their team building process. And it feels like the draft is, is the deadline if nothing else. What do you think is like the main catalyst here or like the most likely timeline? It's hard for me to understand what the timeline is going to be because I don't know what's going to force the action when you think about all the things that are on the table. Well, I I think the draft is like those picks that could go in the draft become a lot less valuable right afterwards. Yes. I think and that's so fair. between now and then, I don't know what it is. Um, structuring a contract that you feel like in a way is going to give you uh, give the Colts I mean, the Ravens are a problem if they do it. I keep saying the Colts because I there has been not just guessing. You know, I've tried to dig around on this. I, I don't think it would surprise anyone if the Colts of all teams end up being the one that, that makes a run on him. And to me, it would make sense to time it close to draft time. What do you think is the most likely outcome? I, I guess... Ravens just staying if I have to like pick one team over the others. But if I can pick the field, I still actually am taking like the field that that basically the Ravens and another team that we have no idea who it's going to be negotiate a trade. It's not going to be exactly the offer sheet. I don't know if it gets to that point. And and I really do think the Colts are uh, the strongest candidate. I think they are too. My the second question I had here, which we'll get into in a second, is what is the Colts' plan? Because they're in this weird middle ground after the quarterback trades and where they sit in the draft. I, I just don't know what I think is the most likely thing because I've gone back and forth on this, and I think a lot of teams felt this way where they didn't feel inclined to chase him or to provide an offer sheet because they just assumed that Baltimore would match it. I remember talking to people at the combine and it kind of felt that way, but. I think that's ignoring how much real bad feelings seem to exist here on both sides. So I don't know. It just still is hard for me to imagine them walking away from him, even if it's for a pretty hefty draft haul, just because the unknown when you have a guy who's done what he's done seems like a really scary timeline. But as we get deeper and deeper into it, it just feels like there's more of a chance that it ends up happening, that he ends up playing elsewhere. Right. If that offer that Lamar kind of threw out there on Twitter, 133 for for three guaranteed was real like okay that's a starting point that another team could try to really front load a team that has yeah. cap space and try to create the cap space front load the first couple of years of the deal to make it very hard for baltimore to deal with and if lamar makes it clear he doesn't want to be there i just 
kind of wonder from Baltimore's perspective, like they haven't done anything, anything. this offseason. I think they're second or third uh, fewest in terms of uh, money spent this offseason. And because of Lamar being such a unique player, like if they were going to move on from Lamar, you have to build an offense around him and offensive coordinator Todd Munkin that makes sense. And it's like, when, when does that process start? Like you would you would want to start that process if you were going to do it. Yeah, I. it, it seems like they would be incentivized to do that. The three for 33 thing or 133 thing brings me back to a conversation that we had had a little bit earlier about this is that I, I'm wondering what the most important parts of a negotiation are for Lamar and Lamar's side of it. Is it just having a fully guaranteed deal? Because then if you do it in a short-term deal, you're not really worried about having him giving him guarantees into year four and five and making that kind of like an unprecedented move where you're worried that he's going to be getting a little bit older. You just have less financial flexibility to add void years onto it and move money around and things like that. So I guess it's a sliding scale on both sides. But I think the only having two to three years, like three years of fully guarantees, that just seems like a palatable option for some of these teams because the downside of giving him guarantees into year four and five as he creeps over 30, that doesn't play into it if you're making it a short-term deal. Right. I I think it would... He's kind of put it out there that, look, I'm not asking for a fully guaranteed contract. You know, my old boss, Florio, put it out that some teams look at it like practically it would be because, you know, he's looking for something like 200 guaranteed. Yeah. If If Kyler got... 180 or you could argue whether it was 160 180 he's probably aiming for north of that but it it really does feel like there's respect uh factor here wanting to be wanted we don't know we're projecting a lot because we're used to leaks and we're used to like players making it clear what they want like i i like that lamar's doing it differently i i don't know how it's going to turn out but i respect that like it's like one guy and, and his mom and the way he's doing it, deciding to do it their way. We don't know exactly what all the goals are, all the motivations. He might just want to get somewhere warm. He might want to just have freedom. Like, I, I don't know, like, what what his motivation is. But I, I'm rooting for him. It feels like, like, one man against, like, the rest of the league's, like, operation. A year ago, like, a, a year ago this summer when we were thinking about what could be on the horizon with this, I was rooting for him to kind of take it to the end because we've never really seen it happen before. You know, the only guy we've really seen do that is Kirk Cousins. And Lamar is on a much different plane than Kirk Cousins. So just out of curiosity, like what would it really look like if a quarterback tried to exert every bit of leverage that he has and a team had to pull every single lever it had to try to keep him under contract? And it feels like this is a tiny bit different in that I think in another version of this standoff, a team would use the exclusive tag because they wouldn't lose him under any circumstances. But I think Mm -hmm. that by doing the non-exclusive tag, the Ravens have put the ball in other teams' courts and forced them to do the negotiating, which is its own little spin on this entire thing because of how unique the situation is. So seeing it all play out, like every step of it, all the way to the furthest extreme, has been a fun curiosity, if anything. But extremely unpleasant for uh, 
the Ravens, for the media in Baltimore who have to talk about this every single day for us, I guess a little bit. And then for Lamar Jackson, I, I kind of doubt he wants this to just be going on and on. But there is a world where he plays under this franchise tag and is hoping to get to free agency. But that was one of the benefits of going with the non-exclusive tag is the Ravens could probably afford to tag him yes. again, which they wouldn't have been able to if they had made him uh, the exclusive free agent. And I'm wondering how realistic that timeline is if he just plays on the tag. So, I mean, those are the different outcomes that we have. He gets traded, he gets signed to a long-term extension in Baltimore, and he plays on the tags. Here's the thing, though, Robert. Their number two receiver is still Devin Duvernay. I know. I know. Uh, they've lost, you know, or they cut Calais Campbell, who was, was a factor for them. You know, guys who had a lot of snaps, Marcus Peters, Justin Houston. Like, those are older guys. Um, but they have questions, like defensive line, I still don't really see a great pass rush. Uh, they lost Ben Powers in free agency. They can usually develop. But in terms of the weapons around Lamar, like that hasn't changed. And Tyler Huntley's actually out there for anyone to go sign to, by the way. I, I had the um, really galaxy brain idea. Some team, the Colts, I guess would be that team. And it's not going to happen. They signed Gardner Mitchell. They should sign both Lamar Jackson and Tyler Huntley to offer sheets <laughs> at the exact same time. So my next one here, and we might as well just pivot to this now, because I, yeah. I, you mentioned the Colts several times, and that was my second question. What is the plan for the Colts? Because they haven't done much. So you signed Gardner Minshew to a one-year deal, $3.5 million. The only other move you've really made on offense is to bring in Isaiah McKenzie. And this was an offense that was pretty broken last year. And if you're not going to make any personnel changes, you're putting all of that on Shane Steichen and the staff to kind of revitalize an offense that was really awful to watch last season. So if you're dropping in a quarterback with a fourth overall pick, do you feel good about the situation you're dropping that guy into? How are you going to upgrade it? And with that fourth overall pick, are you going to be in a position to draft the guy that you want? Because there's a very real chance that a team that wants a quarterback badly, I don't know who that would be, we can get into that later, is going to move up to three to take their guy. So then you're left with the fourth overall pick if you don't make any moves. So the Colts have shown very little urgency this offseason and whatever their plan is going to be. So I'm wondering when that plan gets kicked into high gear and what shape it ends up taking. Right. I I agree. I have to assume, and we've heard the reporting that there were other teams involved, you know, talking to your Bears at number one, and you have to assume the Colts were one of those teams and they just weren't willing to pay the going rate for what that could have been going from four. They weren't they weren't going to be as aggressive, and now they've put themselves in this spot where uh, the Indianapolis Star columnist Greg Doyle, who I always like, not just because he's uh, a double G at the end like me, sixty percent G, uh, but he just is—he's just on it. Like he has a great perspective, and he—he he knows those teams well, and he thinks Chris Ballard is thinking Hendon Hooker. He—he he thinks he's thinking to trade down, draft Hooker, amass more draft capital, make the rest of the team better, and it. Sounds like something Chris Ballard would do. I, it does. I, I, I sent some texts around to people who know him quite well, and they're just like, yeah, that sounds like something uh, he'll do. But I, I do believe, though, he's going to get in on Lamar um, before that happens to see to see what happens, or at least to kick that down the road. It feels like people closer to the Colts really, really think that that's a, a realistic possibility. It seems like the best possibility. Yes. Because if you're sitting there and you're looking at the third best quarterback or the third quarterback off the board, no matter how this thing shakes out, even if you move up to three, all the reasons that teams have thrown out there about not wanting to go after Lamar, 
The Colts don't really have to worry about any of those. This idea that, well, you'll piss off your quarterback if you sniff around Lamar and you end up giving him an offer sheet. Who cares? It's Gardner Minshew. They don't have a starting quarterback. They don't have a path to a cheaper guy that they would love because they're picking the third quarterback off the board at the very best option now. So it just feels like so many things are lining up where this is going to be in their best interest. I have no idea what a Colts team with the same personnel as last year and just Lamar Jackson looks like, but it does feel like they've kind of put themselves into a corner where this is not only the best solution, but it might be the only Mm. high-end solution that they can come up with. Yeah, they, they have a strange situation because you always look at like when timelines, when do teams need to win by and, and Steichen just got there and I really yes. like Shane Steichen. Like everyone loves Shane Steichen. No one's had their like reputation, I think, improve more over the last six months in the NFL than Shane Steichen. And and I now kind of am I'm buying it. And he has a while. But Chris Ballard felt very much uh on the precipice of lo- losing his job. He he wasn't necessarily the guy who brought in all these quarterbacks. That's Jim Mercy who's making a lot of these decisions with which clouds it. Jim Mercy doesn't want to be his dad. It it's a whole thing. And uh I, I feel like there is urgency for them to win sooner than later. And having the fourth overall pick gives them some flexibility in what they could offer for a trade for Lamar Jackson, whether whether you trade back and trade some of those picks or whether the fourth pick is like enough right there. Like that's that's because that trade. gives Baltimore an off ramp potentially. Because then yeah. if they're in a position to draft somebody, are they more likely to do this? Because I think some people a listener sent me a note that I thought was interesting. Well, if you have to give up two first round picks to get Lamar if the Ravens don't match the deal, wouldn't it be smarter to trade back and have that first round pick be a little bit less lucrative? That if you do that, that gives the Ravens motivation to just match it if the pick is worse. So you want the the trade to be not like the timeline where you're matching the deal and you're giving up two first round picks. You're giving up more than that because that's going to sway the Ravens to actually do this. Yeah, I think if Lamar moves, the whole offer sheet and two first round picks thing has been overstated. Like that's part yeah. of the equation, but I think the two teams will just settle it. If the if the Ravens really really want to keep Lamar, uh, they can probably find a way to do that. If they're willing to entertain this, I think they would talk to the Colts. I mean, it would be a little hard to like imagine the Colts um, taking Lamar Jackson from Baltimore you know, 30 years after they, they took their team. Do, do, do the Ravens, <laughs> are, do the Bashadis really want to help Jim Ursay? Like, that's a whole other part of this, but uh, it would be fun. And the Colts could financially make it work pretty easily. You know, they've got some flexibility. They've got some big base salaries with some of the guys that they have under contract. You know, DeForest Buckner is an $18.8 million base salary. Shaq Leonard's at 15.8. Braden Smith's at 16. You know, Ryan Kelly has been somebody that has been rumored that they might move on from him. And they have $115 million in cap space next year. If they move they on, they don't from have a, a left tackle, pieces. though. I that, guess they're going to. That's a, that's also part of this problem is that they their offense has gotten better. So all you're looking at is last year's offense with Lamar Jackson, which I guess right. is a better plan, but it still is dicey at the very least. Right. And last year's defense with the same coordinator, Gus Bradley, who, who was fine for, for them, uh, but without Stefan Gilmore. Without uh, Bobby Okereke, you know, they, they did bring in a couple guys. Uh, they brought in Ebukam on the defensive line, and, and Ngakwe is probably on the way out. But the, it's a pretty thin secondary, too, yeah. uh, especially at cornerback. So 
it that's a bad division. Like second place in that division is is it is attainable. Even first place could be if they if they have Lamar Jackson, but they're in by far the worst spot since Chris Ballard's uh started out there. And this used to be a team we talked about as one of the better rosters in the league, and it's just not in the top half anymore. At least Lamar is a plan. It's the early stages of a plan, and I think it's a multi-year thing before they actually can build a contending team around him. But at least it's a plan, because right now, I don't think that there's another one that's coming into clear view. Right. And and I know Lamar misses some games, but as some, one evaluator put it to me, it's like 12 games of Lamar is uh, better than 17 games of Will Levis. Yeah. You know, like we'll or take seven, t- right, 12 of Lamar, five of Gardner over over what's behind door number two. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, what's your next one? All right, um, let's talk uh, running backs. Just because, in general, the running back market, I'm just going to list some names for you. Here are running backs who, who I don't know what team they're going to play on in, in 2023. So we're talking about, like, what is still a, you know going to happen this offseason? What are the big questions? Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, and I'll throw in Zeke just because I wanted to fit the theme of like these are five of the biggest names at the position in the last <laughs> five or six years. And at least three or four of them, I would say, are, I think, still quite relevant to the 2023 season. But none of them um, are guys that I'm particularly confident are going to be with their team next year. But nothing's really happened uh, other than Zeke getting cut and he'll get a backup job somewhere and Eckler asking and, and getting permission for that trade, which has been quiet. Here's my problem with this. And we've talked about this a little bit. Where What are the landing spots? Like, which right. of these teams are willing to pay up for these guys? Because I think a lot of the teams that are contenders are contenders in part because they haven't spent a ton of resources on their running backs. So the teams that have a theoretical hole at running back are a lot of the teams that aren't willing to spend on it. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's why they have a need at running back. So I don't mm-hmm. know which of these teams would be willing to make like a bold move to go trade for Austin Eckler. Right. The Eckler and Henry one, it's a little harder to find like the right team, you know, could, uh, could Sean Payton trade for like an Austin Eckler? I know they brought in P Ryan. Uh, you know, he, he loves himself a running back. Like, could, could Buffalo do it? I, it's probably not where they want to invest. There's a little more OBJ talk there. Uh, those two, like, I'm with you. In the end, I'm, I think it's more likely they stay at their current team than not. Uh, but I'm I'm not totally sure how if, if Henry fits there. And then Cook and Mixon, and especially Cook, I think could be a relevant player. They just aren't locked to stay on their roster, but they haven't been cut yet, which is strange. Usually you see the cuts happen by now, uh, but I listened to uh, your colleagues uh, who do the the Bengals podcast, and, and I think they still believe Joe Mixon's not going to be on the, that 
team at that salary that maybe eventually he'll take a pay cut or or he'll get cut in the part of the offseason that you don't want to get cut in. And the same could be true for Dalvin Cook, or he could get moved for like a fourth round pick uh, during the draft. But at least Cook, I think, who has a little juice left and, and Eckler, certainly. Uh, I'm intrigued by that. And, and it could be a draft day type of thing where someone's just deciding to get rid of him and they're just going to do a second to third round trade down. And, and here, here you go. Here's an all pro running back to go with it. I'm so, I'm so curious which team would say, all right, we would rather have Dalvin cook at that price. I wonder what his base salary is. Just if a team is trading for him right now. So Dalvin cook's base salary in 2023 is $10.4 million. So I, which team is going to say, I would rather have Dalvin cook at $10.3 million than drafting a running back in the fourth round. It's a, it's a fair question. That that's And that, to me, is what creates the stalemates with this and why those guys might be more likely to be cap casualties than they are to be traded. I am with you on the mix and stuff. I think they're just willing to see or trying to see if they can find a cheaper alternative somewhere along the way. If he's not on the Bengals next year or he's released within the next six, eight weeks as the draft is coming, I wouldn't be surprised at all. No, they're going to – and we'll get to that. I have a little Bengals later. But oh, there you I, go. They have a little. They have a lot of questions on their roster. All right, my next one. What other pass catcher moves are coming? Because okay. I feel like That's we have another not. One of mine. We have not <laughs> seen the end of them. So Elijah Moore goes to the Browns yesterday. For I, I was looking at the trade value charts. It seems like that trade down the thirty-two picks is the equivalent of like a sixth-round pick in the Spielberger uh, Fitzgerald chart, which is got to go. Got to roll with Spielberger these days. It. Uh, that is not a lot to give up for Elijah Moore, but that's what happens when teams are scrambling to sign Odell Beckham potentially and getting Cole Hardman. It, it does feel like even as teams can sign these guys who are available, the demand for pass catchers is still going to outweigh the supply, especially for teams that are, have urgency to be good. And that's why I just feel like we're going to see more of these Elijah Moore type trades happen. And more teams saying we need three guys at least we need to make sure that we go out and get one more. I mean, think about how many of these trades over the last calendar year that have been involved pass catchers. All of the huge yeah. ones from last year, the TJ Hawkinson one, the Elijah Moore thing we saw yesterday, DJ Moore, and I assume we'll be talking about DeAndre Hopkins, what happens with that. And I would not be surprised if there were one or two more that we're not even thinking about yet. Mike Evans, like it just feels like there are a couple other shoes left to drop with those pass catching spots over the next couple months. I, I totally agree. That was, that was one of mine. And, and DJ Moore was the first one to move this offseason. And he's still probably the best player that's been moved. Yeah. You know, Brandon Cooks is, is a solid enough starter. I, I forgot Brandon Cooks. <laughs> yeah. I like Elijah Moore a lot. Like, I liked him coming out. I loved his rookie tape, even though, you know, he was playing in a difficult situation. If you just watch it, the dude was getting open. So I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass. That was an incredible deal for Cleveland. I think they're operating like they got a third round pick back. I mean, I feel like that was. The key part is, look, the 74th pick in the draft is, you know, more um, likely to be a better player than the number 42 pick than people realize. Like, there's a decent chance that you can get a good player in the third round. Like, it, it's not hurting your chances of getting a good player that that much. And, and more as a quality receiver. I think what happened, though, Robert, is like those trades last year and the great rookies that came out 
I don't know if teams are afraid. I don't. I think they realized that that worked out quite well for the teams that traded for the receivers. No one wants to give up their receivers. And then this year, the the influx of top top shelf wide receivers isn't the same coming into the draft. So everyone's holding on to their guys like Keenan yeah. Allen didn't get moved. And I'm with you though. There's there's three names specifically that I want to know where they end up. OBJ, who I still have some high hopes for. Uh, making an impact, DeAndre Hopkins, and then Jerry Judy. Because yeah. we've we've learned if a guy was available, he will be available, and he probably will get traded eventually. And so I, I expect Judy to get traded by by draft day or on draft day, potentially. I think that all makes sense. The only reason I mentioned Evans is that he was not restructured with all those other guys. And if we're trying yeah. to like pick up breadcrumbs, is that a sign that maybe he's more available than somebody like a Chris Godwin was and that the Bucks would be willing to listen because they have $1.8 million in cap space right now. So that, that might need to change between now and the draft. But I think something is going to happen. And yeah, man, it, I, I think that last year was obviously an outlier and an aberration with all the, the big name guys that got moved. But I do think we're going to see these smaller moves consistently because there's pass catchers are more valuable to some teams than others based on who their quarterback is, what stage they're at in the team building process. Like the chiefs traded away Tyree kill and didn't really bother them last year because they have Patrick Mahomes, but the dolphins needed Tyree kill and still need Mm -hmm. Tyree kill because of where they are. And I just think that because we've gotten to a place where teams understand you need at least two, probably three guys that this movement is just going to be constant every off season, even if it's one or two steps below where it was a year ago in terms of the big names on the market. Yeah. I think if you're Kyle Shanahan or part of his tree, it's like you need four guys. I mean, the fourth doesn't need to be a superstar, but I'll always think of that 2016 Falcons team. And that, that was one of the keys to it was that, they had four guys that you had to deal with. Taylor Gabriel, you had to deal with, and and the best teams. Oh, are, don't don't uh, I know it? I remember the Bears contract. <laughs> the there most teams are looking at it like that way, or you could be like the Patriots and like be like, ah, oh, yeah, Devontae Parker is our number two, and we've got a million number fours, or the Giants and sign fifteen different slot receivers. Uh, the J- Jamison Crowder joining the mix on, on Thursday. So that was my next question to you: is who is the team that you think makes the splashy move for one of these receivers? I had both. Both of those teams listed first in my list of teams. Well, I don't think the Giants are going to because just the reporting out of there is that they're kind of done on the big, big stuff. They can't really afford it. I mean, they they don't really have a lot of money left over to do something like this for this year. No, they actually have spent more in total money and guarantees than any team in the league. And that's not a team that's like known for having a ton of cash sitting around. They're not, you know. What happens rich. when you got to spend ninety million dollars on your quarterback, baby? Right, and it also is what happens when you've owned the team since nineteen twenty, and that's like where the money's coming from. And there's a lot of these, you know, teams out there. Whereas if you're just like a hedge fund owner, like that's why I wanted someone to just, you know, I want someone to buy the Commanders and then pay Lamar uh, the most like record breaking contract that ruins the <laughs> rest of the NFL. Uh, the I still think the have bill- a couple moves to make if they want to okay. free up money, which is worth mentioning. I don't want some Giants fans to be like, well, they could do this and this. Leonard Williams is a $32 million cap hit. If they extend him, then you can get that number down. Dory Jackson okay. is at $19 million, which that's wow. more just funny. The, the fact that these last hiccups of the Dave Gettleman era where Leonard Williams and Dory Jackson are making $51 million against the cap combined this year. So it's always, it's always wow. fun. 
they can extend Dexter Lawrence. He has a $12.4 million hit. And if they extend Z, or Saquon, who's at $10 million. So they can free up some money, but they are up against it this year based on the contracts that they're holding over from the last regime and some of the moves they've had to make to retain their own guys. Right. And you still have to spend cash in that scenario. And I, I don't know if they've hit their limit, but it, it does sound like they decided to go cheap-ish at wide receiver Paris Campbell. Came in, Isaiah Hodgins came in, Jamison Crowder, and then Waller is their kind of big pass catcher. The, the Patriots do make all the sense in the world uh, for DeAndre Hopkins if Bill O'Brien, you know, wasn't in the building. Uh, maybe they can, maybe they can get over that. Uh, Baltimore would make a lot of sense. Just seems like a, a Baltimore type of a move. Jerry Judy and the Patriots were linked in this Cleveland Plain Dealer article. Uh, they even reported the. You know, possible terms that it was maybe a two and a, and a four. So the Patriots are near the top of the list. And to me, the Bills still are. I think OBJ would fit perfectly on the weak side, trying to beat one-on-one coverage with Stefan Diggs and everyone else over on the other side. It just feels like a, a final piece type of move. Yeah, I, they were on my list as well. Uh, the Patriots, I think it, it almost feels necessary at this point. The way that their pass catching group is made up and the resources they've spent on it, they have $33 million of their cap this year tied up in Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Man. <laughs> lot, on, lot on Parker. Uh... So that's that's not great. A couple more random teams, because I always feel like there are teams we're not thinking about, again, simply because you need three. So there aren't yep. that many teams who have to sit there and be like, yo, no, we're good. Like we, we don't need anybody else to catch passes for us. The Lions are interesting to me. Yep. They have a decent amount of cap space still. Their third receiver is still some combination of Josh Reynolds and whoever else. I don't know if they're going to think tight end in the draft. Wherever their pass catcher comes from, it feels like they need more juice somewhere. The Chargers need something else. I don't know if if they're going to be looking in the draft to get that speed or some of that explosiveness, but I think they do. Seattle, it feels like, still needs a little bit of a slot type. And so I don't know where they're going to find somebody, but there are some teams that maybe at first glance, you don't think receivers, their number one need that I feel like might be sniffing around the position because they do have more of a hole than it might seem. Yeah. Green, Green Bay is another one where, yep. you, where another you, you, one. Can, you can see the hole. It's big. I mean, Atlanta has plenty of cap space. They spent a lot of money. Their number two receiver right now is probably Matt Collins, who just signed. So I know they're not really into the forward pass, but I feel like it still would be advantageous. True to form, Nate was very excited about the Matt Collins signing in Atlanta when we were doing our show earlier this week. You see, his brand is strong. I think his brand is strong enough that I snuck Matt Collins into my top 101. I think he was 98, but I was just like, <laughs> yeah, Matt Collins, those those four like Moss type uh, catches he makes on people's head a year are worth it just for the entertainment. What's your next one? All right. Uh, let's go back to the Bengals. Uh I just want to kind of see, like, what are the Bengals going to do the rest of this offseason? So there's running back. We kind of mentioned Joe Mixon. But they were a little surprised, I think, that they lost P. Ryan. Supposedly, he took the exact same money to go to Denver. He just wanted to go to Denver. Uh, They don't have a tight end on the roster. Uh, They're really well set up. And and the reason I just want to focus on them is just they're in that window. And I, I agree with Joe Burrow that his career is a Super Bowl window. But this is also the part of his career that he's with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Lou Anarumo, and a good defense. And so, like, I don't know if that whole group is going to be together this whole time. And I think they're absolutely able to keep that whole group together right now. Um, and, and so, whether it's at safety, cornerback, but but especially running back, 
tight end. Like, what are the final few things that that Cincinnati is going to do between free agency and the draft? Because if you if you ask me to pick, like, what are, like which team are you most confident is going to be a top five team next year? Like, the Bengals are close, if not at the top of the list for me. And I think it's a unique window in their team building time. And like, how do they go about you know getting that right? That's why I was so interested in them coming into the offseason because they had a decent amount of cap space. They had some flexibility because all those guys are still cheap. So what were they going to do to kind of put those couple last tweaks on this thing to get over the top? And they signed Orlando Brown. That's really all they've done. And my question with the Bengals, and we can stick with them for now, but like going a little bit wider with it was, which of last year's contenders are actually better than they were at the end of last season? Hmm. Okay, so in, in the AFC specifically, say the team, the final four teams in the AFC last year were the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills, and Jacksonville. Which of those teams is definitively better today than they were on January fifteenth? None. It's kind of weird, and the yeah. bank, the Bengals were in the best position to change that. Because they had the most wiggle room of all of these teams. And they could be better. You know, their offensive line with Orlando Brown in that spot and then reshuffled could absolutely be better. You bring the pass catchers back. I'm with you. I have a lot of faith in how good they're going to be. But you lose Von Bell. You lose Jesse Bates. You replace that with Nick Scott. They haven't really done much else on defense. So I don't think you can definitively say that they're better. Jacksonville has Calvin Ridley. So maybe... You could make an argument that they got there, but they lose Jawan Taylor. Is Walker Little going to be able to just step in and kind of solidify that other side? So it just seems like all of these teams are kind of in this stagnation period for better or for worse. And the Bengals, to me, had the biggest opportunity to step outside of that, and they haven't yet. We'll see what else is coming, but they haven't yet. Well, they're very Bengals-y in terms of they like set a value and they don't go above it and they find a way. They've been pretty good at getting mid-tier free agents and getting good value out of them. So we'll see if Nick Scott is like one of those guys. I think they were surprised, and I was too, that Hayden Hurst got the most money of all mm-hmm. these tight ends. Like I, They absolutely wanted to keep Hayden Hurst, and then he ended up going way over what Dalton Schultz and Mike Gusecki got, for instance. And so I think they were caught a little flat-footed by that in P. Ryan. And even Von Bell, but to me, those aren't guys that make or break your roster. They actually have maybe of those four teams, and there's pretty good continuity on on a few of them, certainly Jacksonville. They actually do have pretty great continuity in general, a nice combination of youth and continuity on on both sides of the ball. Uh, But I think they will do some more moves. I think they'll make a move. I don't know what it's going to be that you'll be like, oh, okay. I see, I see you, Duke Tobin. Like, I, I, that, like a couple moves the rest of the way. And maybe it's just resigning. Joe Burrow, or maybe it's, you know, getting something done with Logan Wilson or T Higgins earlier than you would expect. But uh, I think they'll, they still have some more moves to make. I also, they have an, a little bit of wiggle room. I mean, if they do yeah. move on from Joe Mixon, I mean, it looks, they probably have, I'm looking at the number right now, you know, they'd have $25 million in cap space. You know, do they get another rotational pass rusher? Like whatever the tweaks end up looking like, they do have a little bit more flexibility to, make a move here or there to kind of fill out the rest of the roster. Lyle Collins was a guy people, including myself, thought was going to get cut. He still could from the sound of it. Like, that's that's why I wanted to bring them up. They just, they're still, and, and you don't need to settle your team right now, but nope. Lyle Collins, Joe Mixon, Jonah Williams, I, I just feel like they're a little unfinished. And to me, they're, 
fascinating just because I want, you know, I, I want to see this team do something good. Well, and they have been, but even better uh, while they can, because I'm worried it'll all go away somehow. Hey, this is a real opportunity and this is a different yeah. opportunity. Even if Joe Burrow is right and that they're going to be a contender as long as he's around, it will get harder. It, yes. it is it is objectively more difficult to be a good team when your quarterback is making $50 million a year and your receiver breaks the bank and is making 30 for, for the first right. time in a real way. Yeah, Higgins and Boyd, to me, are kind of what makes it over the top, that you've got these four guys, including Burrow and the three receivers, all together at this point in time. That, like, okay, maybe you could draft the next Tyler Boyd this year. There's a decent chance you could do that, but... It's going to be pretty hard to keep drafting the next T. Higgins uh, to, to pair with Chase. I wonder, and this we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I wonder in the draft which direction they go if they go on offense. Do they feel like they need one more lineman to kind of bring this whole thing together because Jonah Williams is in the last year of his deal. They're going to move on from Collins. They need a right tackle. They have done a pretty good job over the last couple of years of planning in advance with that because they've used their free agency money to kind of plug some of those holes. Or do they go get one more pass catcher because they know the writing is on the wall. There's no Hayden Hurst here. Tyler Boyd probably is in his last or second to last season with the team. We need a, another middle of the field option. Do we go tight end? Which direction they go because based on what they think they need, I'm very interested in. Right. There's so many good tight ends in this class, but then you start thinking how many teams could use a tight end. It's like they still can't all get one of no. the top ones. Like Green Bay would make a lot of sense for a tight end, especially if they get an extra first round pick. Uh, the Patriots would like there's there's a lot of teams that could use a tight end. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run? Take a nap? Read a book? Show up for a friend? Show up for yourself? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is, doing what you need to do, carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Maze. All right, my next one here. Who is the surprise quarterback team in the first round? Is there one? So if the Colts end up going to get Lamar Jackson, let's just hypothetically say that, and that number three pick is sitting there, does somebody that is within range of that pick move up? Is it the Raiders? Is it some other team we're not really thinking about? Is it the Lions? Is it the Seahawks? Like, are there teams in the top 10 that are really thinking quarterback in a more defined way than we're considering right now? And then beyond that, Let's play it out where only three quarterbacks go in the top 10 and a guy like Will Levis falls. Is there a team in the 20s that is going to move up to 12 or 13 
for Will Levis because they think that he's an opportunity for them to turn the page. I'm talking about you, Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. Like, like which of those teams is is lurking out there? Because I think that we could have a couple of them, one in the top 10, one outside the top 10 that is a quote-unquote a surprise quarterback team a little bit. Yeah, Minnesota makes all the sense to be one of those teams. I think as we get closer to the draft and look, Daniel Jeremiah says a lot of things that he knows are what the league is already thinking. And his love of Hendon Hooker has been undeniable and uh, <laughs> unstoppable. And I think it's because the league's going to love him too. So I, I think there's going to be five first-round picks. I don't know if you're going to trade up for Hendon Hooker, but he could be one of those uh, later first-round picks. He could be an option for Minnesota, certainly. Uh, Will Levis uh, would be another one if he falls that far. It wouldn't surprise me that much if Will Levis fell. I guess the other teams that you'd be thinking about, you know, Washington, you know, if they if they're in a position where they love one of these guys and you know, Atlanta, I still would throw. I'm not totally giving up on that Atlanta could do something here. I don't think that's crazy. I, I feel like they do like Desmond Ritter, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were one of those teams. And then Tampa. You know, like Tampa almost needs to find whatever that trapdoor is out of the situation that they're in. So I guess those are the three teams I would throw out. That would be most likely. So- yeah, I mean, Detroit, I don't know if that even counts as a surprise team. The Lions fans don't like to hear it for some reason. I don't think that the Lions' evaluation of Jared Goff has changed that much from when they got him. Now, they were much higher on him than everyone else when they got him. I think they see him as what he is if in the right scenario, like the 12th best quarterback in the league. But I, I absolutely think they are in the quarterback market. I think in a perfect world, like someone falls to them at six, but it, nothing would surprise me. Uh, when it, when it comes to Atlanta, the Rams are one other team. I mean, it'd be freaking crazy for them to take a quarterback after all this. Um, but they would be a surprise, and they would make some some sense. Uh, I know they have a million other needs, though. All right, what's your next one? All right, um, I guess I'm just gonna kind of like, uh, yeah, do the now. I'm I'm blowing it. The the Breaking Bad uh, meme. Of just like, can the Saints keep getting away with this? <laughs> you know, because they they were the most over the cap going into all this. They have spent the second most amount of guarantees so far this offseason. And you know what else they have? Twenty or sixteen million dollars in cap space right now, which is in the top ten in the league. On top of that. And I I point that out not to like just say the saints are smart and like, this is the great way to do things. But but are they part of a trend that is just like renegotiate forever, spend a lot of cash. This is a marginal advantage that we're getting. Actually, the bill is never going to totally come due as long as we keep spending more in cash than every team out there. It's our way to circumvent the salary cap with some advantages to it. There are some consequences, right? Like you're going to have to move on from some guys, but they're not consequences that necessarily outweigh the benefits. Right. So I'm fine with it. I've totally come around on it, especially now when they're so far in one direction. Have you ever seen the episode of 30 Rock where Jack is trying to turn around Pete Hornberger's life? And he's like, I shouldn't have taken you all the way to like new man. I should have taken you to nothing left to lose. I should have just pushed you to this side rather than going all the way the other direction. That's where the saints are. It's just like, let's just push you to nothing left to lose and make Derek Carr the best potential option at quarterback and just live in this like self built world that you have where the margins are very small, but fuck it. 
whatever. We might as well live in these small margins. I'm totally fine with it. I think it's entertaining. Right. I don't think it's necessarily like how they're going to win a Super Bowl because they haven't executed the 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 plan that well. I think hiring Dennis Allen and sticking with him is like the biggest part of their plan. But they have spent $219 million in total contracts, according to Over the Cap, which is way ahead of number three. Only the Giants have spent more. Uh, like I said, they're second in guarantees. They have cap space. And I do think it's an interesting question, though, for like front offices league-wide to look at what they're doing because it's not it's not like it's magical. Uh, there's other teams that do versions of this. I think the Patriots and the Eagles certainly have have at, at certain points, but uh, a willingness for your owner to just like spend a ton of cash and eat some of that dead cap here, you know, here and there with players that you don't ultimately want. Like that's kind of a way to team build. And if they could, if they could spend it more wisely, I think more teams, you know, would kind of follow it as a blueprint. I mean, the dolphins have spent a ton of cash this off season. They've yep. renegotiated a bunch of their deals. I think they're making a similar bet. They're in a slightly better spot just because all they have is essentially those four or five, five bloated deals. And if they move on from one of them, they'd probably be in okay financial shape. But I really have no issue with it. Like I totally understand trying to operate this way when you painted yourself into this sort of corner. They could be – they absolutely right now, you could make an argument of the best team in the NFC South. I think they probably are the best team in the NFC South. And if you're looking at the NFC, this is actually my next one. Let's, let's get to it. Let's handicap the NFC. Who is, okay. the, who is the best team in the NFC right now? This is one of my lingering questions post-free agency. I would stick with the Eagles. Okay. I'm not that Fine. worried. Yeah. I think that's yeah. I think that's totally reasonable. I had them winning the Super Bowl before last season. I was so damn close. Uh, so I probably am just going to stick with it again because I like rooting for them. I think that's totally fine. I, th- I thought they were going to be very good, and they were very good. They have most of their roster back. Who's next? I guess, man, it'd be Dallas and San Francisco would be next. Okay. you you have The San Francisco one is an interesting one. I was at a sports book this weekend. I was looking up at the board. They had the second best odds to win the Super Bowl. The San Francisco yeah. 49ers did. We do not know who their quarterback is going to be this season. Yeah. It's it's a wild world. I mean, it's probably more open than we think going into every year. Although, I guess if you look at especially the AFC the last couple of years, there's been plenty of continuity. But this feels like everyone will just admit it's a wide open world after Philadelphia. You're right. I, how can you see San Francisco as some huge division favorite? There's no favorite in the NFC South in particular. No Super Bowl contender in the NFC South. And then the NFC North, the Lions are right now favored to win the division. And I think any I, I have a hard time seeing your Bears winning, but I could see any of the other three teams winning that division. I think it's so wide open, and that's why I was shocked looking at those same odds. The Seahawks were like 60 to 1. I was like, how did the Seahawks have worse Super Bowl odds than the Bears? Like, they're playing in a division where there's no other quarterbacks. Kyler's going to be hurt for a good chunk of the season. We'll see what happens with the Rams. We don't know who's playing quarterback for the Niners. And then you look at the rest of the, the conference, and I have no idea who the good teams are. And that's why the Saints suddenly become a little bit interesting. I still think it's a long road for this Saints team to come out of the NFC as currently constructed. No, like, yeah, because they don't have a defensive line. I don't no. trust Dennis Allen. I, I really have major problems with him. So many things would have to fall into place for this to actually happen, and I don't think it's going to. But if you're the Saints and you have to tell yourself a story about the type of team you can be, I understand how you get there. It doesn't take that many moves. 
Right. Well, they're on team keep keep a job. Mickey Loomis. That's fair. And, yes. And certainly Dennis Allen is just they're they're trying to kick this post Peyton uh, time there in New Orleans down the down the you know road, and they've been there for a long time. Like Mickey Loomis has been there for twenty years. He's running the Pelicans. You know, one interesting. Just I I know it's not exactly part of this question, but uh, we mentioned Brad Spielberger from a uh, PFF. He mentioned how the Bears still have to spend forty five million dollars in cash to get to the salary floor this year. Now that can include like long-term contracts and the rookies and all that, but that's crazy. They, they are the opposite of the saints. And that's why I'm kind of bringing them up together. I, there is such a thing as too much cap space and not enough spending. And I think it's absolutely fair for bears fans to say they had too much cap space and they didn't spend enough that ultimately the teams that aren't spend like are on the low end of cash spending year after year, like aren't doing everything that the other teams are doing. That was too much cap space. You don't need that, that much cap space. I'm, I'm hoping that after the draft ends and after the dust settles with the amount of picks that they have and they know what picks they're going to have. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's another pick for veteran trade somewhere along the way where yeah. they can eat some oh, look, of it with a move like that. I like what they're doing for the most part. And now it's just like, they're the only ones left. They're just like, I'll take him for $4 million. I'll take him for three and they can keep doing that. And it's worth a shot just to get better this year and see who can stick around. Sort of a, this is like an offshoot of my NFC question. And you mentioned it when talking about the NFC North. One of my other smaller questions, because we haven't talked about it on this show really at all, because it was more Roger centric when we were having the conversation. What are the Jordan love Packers? That's my last one, man. We had too much carry over here. I got a couple more, so we can dig into okay. this. Like, what are the Jordan Love Packers? <laughs> no, sorry. Forgive my uh, displeasure that like we are <laughs> thinking about it. Because that's literally my last one. I'm just like, what are the Packers going to do? Because I, I think people are making the loss of Rodgers like too catastrophic that like this team is going to be one of the bottom teams in the league. Like I saw one odds where they were behind the bears in terms of winning the NFC. And that seems crazy. Like still a lot of good players, (laughs) like a lot of good players. Let's give the front office and coach a decent amount of credit for those three straight 13 win seasons. Uh, And they were incredibly unlucky to me. They profiled as more of like a 10 or 11 win team last year, even. And Jordan love, uh, showed something last year and the reports were so good from practice that I'm buying into that. But what are they going to do? They haven't spent anything. Samari nope. Torrey is their number three receiver right now. They literally like don't have a tight end. They're still counting on David Bakhtiari. And I think you have to, but it, that's a tough spot that they're in and they're counting on Joe Barry. So they, you know, to run their defense again, which I was a little surprised about. So they need a really good draft, but I, I do think they need to do more. And they have not spent in free agency at all the last three years. And I know they're not going to spend big, but they need some, they need to bring in some players that can play snaps. There are a few spots that are just vacant. They have, they've added one outside free agent who isn't a long snapper. Who is that? That's it. It was a safe, it was a safety whose name I cannot remember. That I think they came over from San Francisco. That was the only thing that they've done. And so they've added a couple of rotational safeties. Like they brought back Ford. I mean, that's all that they've really done. So it's really the same team, but I think the same team with Jordan Love is still a little bit intriguing in in a down NFC. I mean, I think that they can still be pretty good depending on what Love is, but I just haven't spent a lot of time and we haven't spent a lot of time talking about what that might look like. They still have some real players on defense. I mean, like this is still a team with talent on it. Right. That's why I thought they might be in the mix for one of these veterans and maybe... Maybe they will be, and and that would be uh, sensible. Um, I mean, if they can get the 13th pick from the Jets 
and, and right. turn that into some more. I mean, there's a chance that they can get pretty interesting here. When does Jordan Love get expensive? What is, what is the timeline on that? Well, he, he they'll pick up his fifth year option. They have to by May first. It doesn't make sense to me to not pick it up. Uh, that'll be twenty low twenty millions, I think, which is significant. Uh, but essentially, they'll look at it like a two year contract where you know he's ultimately making like. What I don't, I'm not sure what it is. Twenty eight million over those two years, yeah. And and they'll see where they're at after those two years. It it wouldn't make sense to me for them to do the Danny Dimes thing where they decline the fifth year option. But you got to give them a little bit better of a chance. Like I think the offensive line could and and should probably be okay. Uh, but Romeo Dobbs is your number two right now. Like you'd feel better if he's your number three or at least have like a, a more realistic option as a number three and a tight end. Because even if you're a little bit worried about Bakhtiari, if they bring Nyman back, I mean, they still have some flexibility. He can play right tackle. Zach Tom can play right tackle if Nyman has to move over to the left side. I mean, that you'd have to feel pretty good about. And again, I mean, on defense, they still have all of those guys back. We have questions about Joe Barry. I think reasonable questions. But this is still a team that should be competitive, even if Aaron Rodgers is not there. It's a a loaded looking defense. You still have A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, which might be the best you know, backfield tandem. Uh, so it's just a couple little pieces that Elton Jenkins contract, by the way, that they signed in either December or early January looks awesome right now. I mean, he they got less money than Juwan Taylor and he, you know, he's, he's a, he's a great player. So they could point out, look, we know we've only spent $8 million. I went and just checked. They are second fewest in free agent spending. They've spent exactly $8.5 million. Uh, could do you want to guess who is, uh, last by a long shot? Baltimore. Here? Nope, they're th- there's third to last. Their second to last uh, is the Packers. Third to last is the Ravens. The Rams have only spent four. And oh, a half there you go. That makes sense. Uh, so, but Tarvarius Moore was the name that I was looking for. By the way, he's the outside free agent that they have brought in in this wild spending spree in Green Bay. Yeah, just just give him a chance because there's nothing, man. There's nothing that the Packers front office, I'm sure, would love more than to look to be to do what. Uh, like to kind of the reverse Tom Brady thing it was like they if they do better than Aaron Rodgers this year like that's how Ted Thompson became a legend there it's like yeah he said goodbye to Brett Favre but he made it work yeah and there was there was one season where they went six and ten with Aaron Rodgers and then they really made it work uh, but man if they could be good this year that would be the ultimate fu to Rodgers I had one more it, it's not okay. the most exciting one what do the Cardinals want to be and what are they going to do because it feels like they kind of control some really important parts of the offseason and a couple of the dominoes that still have to fall. Okay. What are they going to do with DeAndre Hopkins? Where does he go? Because I think that's a big deal. And then what do they do with the number three pick? Do they trade it away? Is a team going to come up and take one of the quarterbacks? Like the Cardinals have a lot of say in some of the biggest potential moves that could happen in the NFL over the next six weeks. I'm bummed out because it just feels like one of the worst historical NFL franchises is now re-entering a period where they're back to being one of the worst franchises. It's you, rough. Like you asked, like who would be a surprise quarterback team, and you know to, to jump up to that Cardinal spot. And for a second, I was like, well, what about the Cardinals? But I've all looked the at re- this, it, it, <laughs> the the money is disgusting. No, it, and it's the, not reasonable. And the reporting, which I totally trust, was 
all that, they told anyone coming in, GM and coach, what's your plan for Kyler? Kyler is going to be here. We love Kyler. And and that's that. And I think that actually makes sense, especially with, with the contract that they gave him. But I don't think people realize how totally devoid of talent this roster is, especially on the two lines. Like, that's where I start every year with, like, who's going to be the surprise team? You just start. Who has the good O-line, D-line combination? And they could be the good surprise team. And the Cardinals have the worst O-line, D-line combination, I think, in the league. If you were power ranking O-line plus D-line, they, they, to me, would be dead last. I mean, they brought back two of the starters from last year. Those are two of the free agent moves that they made. Ugh. And they, yeah, what they brought in, Kel, they what was it, Kelvin Beecham? Kelvin Beecham is back, and Will Hernandez is back. Those, those are the moves that the Cardinals are making right now. That and Kelvin, Ke- Be- Kelvin Beecham, who's good and is thirty-four and is like one of the most trusted guys on that team, but also was the guy who points out that Kyler Murray needs to grow up a little bit, and that's coming from like one of the most respected guys uh, on your roster. It's a weird situation, but again, they have a lot of say in how the next stretch of the NFL offseason is going to go. So I don't, I don't have good vibes on Jonathan Gannon. I feel like he's in a Steve Wilkes situation here where, and just the things he, he seems like he's, it's just very easy to imagine him having a very stressed out press conference when he falls to one in five and like, you know, saying something that ends up being quoted to him for the rest of his career. I just, I, I'm not hoping that for the man, but I can see it coming. So Colt McCoy is still the backup quarterback on this team. So we, we could be looking at several weeks of Colt McCoy at the beginning of the season. Or he's the starting quarterback. That's on what I mean. Team. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Several weeks of Colt McCoy at the beginning of the year. I, I'm sorry. I was talking about their moves and I forgot the uh, big headline grabbing move is bringing LJ Collier. Uh, that, that's one of the other things that they've done this off season. So. Cardinals are just thriving. Kaiser White, though. That's it. That's These guys, they, I got the one guy who can now run the defense. That, that, that is why Kaiser White is here. As if the Cardinals didn't have enough off-ball linebackers. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. My guy, Kaiser, unfortunately, was on the wrong end of that Patrick Mahomes uh, shimmy uh, up the middle of the field to go win a Super Bowl. But I, I like to remember the better times. The Cardinals are going to give us plenty of answers about those questions that we have heading into the next stretch here. Thank you very much, my friend, Greg Rosenthal. Always good to chat with you. We'll do this again very soon. All right. Thanks, Robert. All right, guys. That's all we got. Thank you so much to Greg for his time. Thank you so much to you guys for listening. We will be back on Monday. I don't know anything about the draft. That's part of the the quirk of the NFL schedule. I haven't started watching. I haven't really really dug into it yet because we've been dealing with free agency. That is going to change starting on Monday. We're doing the idiot's guide, me being the idiot, to the 2023 draft with me, Andy Staples, Nick Baumgartner, guys who actually know what they're talking about. So excited to chat with those guys. That'll be available to you guys first thing on Monday. Please be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, if you want to go review the podcast, like on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, I would appreciate that. You should subscribe to The Athletic theathletic.com slash football show it's a dollar a month for the next 12 months right now we got a fun promotion going on so you can read all of our wonderful draft coverage it's going to be coming your way over the next month or so for now that's all we got enjoy your weekend we'll talk to you soon this was the athletic football show Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.